Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Paul F. Tompkins is crying and driving in his latest one-hour comedy special, but those are happy tears. After all, Paul has several projects ongoing, as we met up once more in 2015. From reuniting with his Mr. Show cohorts on a new Netflix series, to voicing Mr. Peanut Butter on BoJack Horseman, and talking to puppets for the fusion talk show No, You Shut Up. He also stars in an improvisational podcast, Spontaneation, with Paul F. Tompkins, and co-starred in The Thrilling Adventure Hour, a stage production and podcast in the style of an old-timey radio show. It might not be the best week ever, but it might, in fact, be much better. So let's get to it. Paul of Tompkins, welcome to Last Things First. Thank you for having me, Sean. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's great to see you. I haven't seen you... In uh, a couple of years, I think the Thrilling Adventure Hour came through. It's been a while, although I feel like we saw each, we literally just saw each other for a moment the last time I was in town. I could be wrong. I feel like that's our relationship, is a series <laughs> of passing through the night that's in right. the big city. That's right. Uh, Furtive glances. <laughs> but let's talk more about you. <laughs> sure. So, and not my place in your life. <laughs> Let's talk about your wife's place in your life. Sure. When was the first time you realized that this woman could be, would be your wife? I think that was when we were living in New York. We had, uh, we'd been dating for a couple years, had just moved in together. Uh, and when we moved to New York for a job that I had at the time, um, she came with me. I mean, there was a discussion about whether or not she would be joining me or whether she would stay in Los Angeles and we'd see each other, you know, a few times a month or, or whatever on vacations, that kind of thing. And then in the end, uh, that was a huge step where we realized how serious a relationship this was. She came with me and that was such a, a, a trial by fire in many ways for our relationship because it was a very tough adjustment to make. We moved there in the fall of 2009 and that winter was an extremely difficult winter. It was freezing. It was the, the coldest winter they'd had on record uh, in, in you know, decades and decades and decades. And we were having a re- we both lived in Los Angeles for such a long time. It was really hard. And I, I kind of realized from that experience that because we became a team as, as difficult as that was and as many arguments as we had uh, born out of uh, literally being uncomfortable, um, we always made it through. And that's when I started to realize, oh, I think, I think this is it. I think this is it. <laughs> now, how you're in such a different place professionally and personally than you were five years ago. Mm-hmm. How, how much would you say having, having a, a wife, having a significant other in your life as a support system changed you as a performer? It's, it's incalculable. You know, it, my wife is, uh, is incredibly supportive and, and she is absolutely my biggest fan and uh, believes in me, uh, you know, 24 uh, seven. Like there, anytime I don't believe in myself, my wife believes in me. And um, just the ways in which you need somebody like that uh, the way a, a, a partner um, 
is leaned upon uh, no matter what your occupation is. Uh, it's had a, it's been a profound impact on my life and, and hopefully I have been that for her as well. You know, I, I think that we do that for each other, but um, you know, however much I, uh, you know, try to be there for her, uh, I know that I fall far short. She's always, always, always there for me. But being, being a stand-up comedian is such a, a solo experience, a mm. lonely experience. Yeah, it's true. On stage and it, off for a lot really of people. Is. Yeah, it really is. And, and that was a thing that changed for me, too, that uh, I used to love going out on the road and, and doing gigs all over the place. And then once she came into my life and our relationship became serious, it became harder. It became a lot harder to be backstage all by myself and waiting to go on and do an hour and then going back to the hotel room alone. And, and you know, because I didn't want to... I didn't have that that need anymore to go out and party all night with the local comics or right. you know the 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 meet I, the I have to go out and make new friends meet the you know? fans and yeah I mean I would have like the time to meet fans right after the show but then after that all I wanted to do was go back and and uh, you know just text my wife like show's done went well going back to the hotel see you tomorrow you know um, we would have like I because I still hate talking on the phone <laughs> we would have you know our our text exchanges and. Um, uh, and then I just go to bed, you know, and back on a plane the next day. And I was always so glad to be home. But now, uh, yeah, aside from the stand-up, you have so many projects that involve communities, groups of people, the, mm -hmm. the podcast, Spontaneation, yeah. a Thrilling Adventure Hour. Mm -hmm. uh, how, those things, were, did, you, did you imagine, um, net, it's 2015, did you imagine five years ago that those projects would be a big part of your life? No, I mean, you know... Podcasting has been a part of my life probably since 2009, let's say, is when I really got heavy into it. Um, and, uh, you know, the Thrilling Adventure Hour started in 2005, and it was fun to do that every month. Uh, you know, time goes by so fast, and especially in Los Angeles, where, uh, it, it, you know, it, as, as cliched as this is, because there's no change of seasons, you lose places, you lose ways to mark things in time. And so before you know, you, you, you find yourself trying to remember, was that last year or was that five years ago that this happened, you know? Yeah. Um, and it seems like no time has passed at all, but we did that show for 10 years, you know? And, and I started to, the last five of those years, really see it as, wow, this is a, uh, these people are a permanent part of my life. And even though the, um, the, the regular monthly show has been retired, uh, I know that these people are, are part of my life forever, you know, and the the various little families that I've made through doing uh, various shows, um, it's uh, it's added to my life immeasurably. It's it's enriched my life immeasurably. It's it's unbelievable that I get to to see all of the people that I see and and play with them. And have that be my job is is uh, it's astounding to me. So yeah, I mean, I have to go back farther than five years and say I I, I don't think that when I started doing stand up I ever envisioned that it would be as great as this. You know, what what did, when you were a young person, even before being a comedian, in Philadelphia or outside Philadelphia? Philly, yeah. What 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 did you imagine? I mean, when I you were in school, did, did you have visions? I of always wanted to be in show business. I always wanted to be a stand-up. I always wanted to be in movies, TV. Uh, so, but I, of course, I had no frame of reference for that. So, uh, 
I didn't know what it would be. I, I, I had, you know, dreams of, of uh, you know, fame and fortune. But the, the, the number one thing was I want to make a living doing this and I want to be good at it. You know, um, a friend of mine giving a toast at my wedding, a uh, guy that I've known forever, you know, since I was a kid. And, and uh, uh, he was a guy that also did stand up, uh, said at one point, you know, talked about us like being in a car after an open mic and both of us being on the verge of tears talking about how we just wanted to get good at stand-up, you know, just want to be good at this. And, um, you know, that, that was at the time really was the best I could hope for was, man, I just want to be, which is also, that's huge, you know, to ask a lot, to, to be uh, able to get past the point where you're just amusing yourself and your friends and to get enough positive feedback from strangers that you're able to say with confidence, no, I'm doing, I should be doing this. It's not crazy for me to want to be doing this. I'm not delusional. <laughs> I actually should be doing this. You know, uh, I've, I've gotten enough people to agree that this should be a job of mine, you know. Um, and then uh, to have it unfold the way that it, that it has and, and there have been uh, high points and low points and there have been uh, so many satisfying things and so many disappointments but overall man I have a really good life filled with good people and people that that inspire me and make me laugh all the time when was going back to that that car ride from the open mic in Philly mm -hmm. when was the first time that you actually felt that comfort as a comedian man like, oh this is this is something I could do long term this could be my my career, my life. I mean, I, I think that was the idea that I started with. Right. And I don't think I ever doubted that I could make a living. Like back when I was doing day jobs and things like that, I think part of what you, you do have to be a little delusional at the beginning. Right. Or you would, you know, you would quit because, you know, when you first start out, unless you are a genius right out of the box, there's a lot of bad shows. And I think probably my first few years of sets, if, if I were to look at them now, if, if, if they were all on, on video somehow and I could review them, I would say, wow, long time between laughs. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, you're, you're somehow conscious of, I am still learning how to do this. I am, I am a journeyman right now and I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm going from apprentice to journeyman to master, you know, that that you are aware that this is going to come because it, it does gradually get better and better. And so you you're you're so grateful for uh, being able to reach the next level of enlightenment uh, that you you are able to somehow calm yourself that it's going to come, that you're going to get better at this. And so, um, you know, I think a key to being successful in this business is you have to know in your heart that there's no fallback plan and that you don't need a fallback plan that no I'm gonna keep working at this this is my focus this is my sole focus I'm not gonna waste time uh, getting a degree uh, for another career that I'm never going to have you know it's you can't and that's what I think a lot of like parents don't get uh, other people don't get friends family don't get that you can't have a fallback plan. You can't have like yeah. a what if this doesn't work out because if you're going into it saying what if this doesn't work out, to me it's like the prenup. It's like <laughs> if you're going into a marriage saying if we get divorced, I want to make sure you can't take half of my shit. You know, 
I think that's a terrible way to go into a marriage thinking about things like that. I know yeah. people disagree. People have fine arguments for that. But to me, it's like you you have to go into a thing, a, a lifelong commitment thinking it's a lifelong commitment and whether it's your marriage or whether it's a career you know not to say that divorces don't happen not to say that you might change your mind and say you know what i'm burnt out on this it's an intense thing there are certain careers i think that uh you know like emily v gordon who is a uh you know a podcaster and, and producer she does the meltdown with right. uh jonah kamel and and she is someone who uh was a therapist and was was doing therapy with very intense uh, uh, type of people, you know, and she got burned out on that because as rewarding as it was, it was also very taxing for her. And so, yeah, I get why I get why she would want to switch careers. I get why someone who's doing what I'm doing would want to stop and do something else. I totally understand. But in order for you to succeed at it in the first place, I think you have to go into a whole hog and yeah. say, this is what I'm doing. I remember having a conversation with Joe Rogan back in, this must have been 2003, I had opened for him at the Tempe Improv, and afterward, we were at a bar. I was asking him for advice, and he said, if you want to do comedy, you just have to qu quit your job and do it. Mm -hmm. And I never, I don't know if I was afraid to do it, or if I just, I think it was more, I came, scary. I came to the realization that as a journalist, that was really what I was meant to do was, right. was be yeah. behind the scenes and write about people like you and talk to people Th like you like those moments you are you are i think we're we're con we're constantly meeting challenges i was gonna say given challenges but you're not given them it's not i don't i don't believe that there's some grand plan for everyone and we have no determination over that i think that life is just life it's full of challenges and uh you you meet these challenges along the way there are turning points everywhere you go you know and um and the the great thing is you have the ability to make a decision at those turning points yeah. and decide what you want to do, you know? So your non-career then, your day jobs and the like, when you yeah. were starting out in comedy, was that with hats? Am I remembering That's that correctly? That's one of them, yeah, hats <laughs> in the belfry. <laughs> Am yeah, I that, was that, my, correctly? that was my first day job. I started doing stand-up when I was 17. I just graduated high school, and uh, I started doing open mics, and uh, my, you know, I told my parents, like, I'm dropping out of school, I'm dropping out of college, I want to do this. And my mom said, you know, you do what you like, but you're going to have to get a job, you know, during the day to support yourself because we're not going to support you if, if that's what you're going to do. And I was like, fair enough. So I went down my first job with Hats in the Belfry and I had a series of retail jobs over the years um, until uh, until I was making enough money to support myself with comedy. So what was that turning point where you said I can put these day jobs aside? Really, it was yeah. there was a there was a brief period where uh, during the comedy boom in the late 80s where there was so much work around and my rent was so low that I did not have a day job for about a year. And I was just doing stand up and, and making money from that. Then the bottom fell out of the boom. All the clubs closed and everything had to go back to a day job, which was really demoralizing. Then I moved out to Los Angeles uh, after a year or so of that and worked day jobs again for another two years and then got hired on Mr. Show. And okay. that was after getting hired on Mr. Show, that was when I felt like, that was when I really felt like, okay, I, I don't think I'm going to have to get a day job again. I think from here on out, I can make a living in show business. And what was that last day job? Do you remember? The last day job was uh, Tower Video. I worked at Tower Video before it closed. I got fired for stealing videos. Mm. I was out of work for probably not quite a year 
I think that happened. My memory is that happened in a February, and I got hired for Mr. Show in June of that year. Mm-hmm. And uh, really thinking, like, man, I don't know what to do. I guess do I go on the road and try to make money there? Because there's you can't really make a living from stand-up just in town in Los Angeles. Um, and I was getting the occasional acting job or whatever, like little jobs right. here and there. I was like, okay, this is helping, this is helping. And then once I got the steady gig on Mr. Show, I was like, okay, good. I got kind of my foot in the door of this world, you know. Before I ask you about that, do you have any of those stolen videos still in your possession? No, I do not. <laughs> the, deal, the deal was I had to give them back. Oh, okay. So I gave them back. You're an honorable man. Well. I mean, not at first, but in the end. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> once, honorable when caught. <laughs> Take that, Cosby. Uh, <laughs> the Mr. Show fellas did mm-hmm. you already know them or did you submit a packet and no i knew them um you know we had all gotten to see uh everyone that worked on the show had gotten to see bob and david do live shows around town uh, what would eventually become mr show and they were the most amazing shows everyone was blown away so we were and and seeing them on the stand-up scene and everything the uh the alternative rooms around la so we were all fans before getting hired on the show and and uh Jay Johnston and I uh, were doing sketch shows at the time, and we had a live show uh, called The Skates that we were doing that Bob and David saw, and we got hired from that. Okay. Yeah. So that was our packet, in essence. Like, they saw our writing, our style from that. And fast forward to 2014. Mm-hmm. When, did, when did it become clear to you that a reunion, a full reunion, was was really going to happen bob uh emailed everybody and said hey we want to uh, we want to do this thing the anniversary of uh the 20th anniversary is coming up uh in 2015 let's get together and read through some sketches and see if we can maybe we'll do like a special or we'll do a tour or a new show or something like that um and so that was it you know we got together before anyone before anything was in place with netflix or anything there was nothing in place we were just like let's start on this already and see what happens if somebody wants to do it and so we started reading sketches, had a great time, then went through the ups and downs of HBO wants to do it. No, they don't want to do it. They want to do it, but not the way we want to do it, you know, because right. Bob and David didn't want to do just like a reunion special and do old sketches or call it, you know, just just have it be the same thing. They wanted to do a new thing and uh, or they wanted to do new episodes of Mr. Show. And then HBO didn't want to do that. So uh, Netflix jumped at it. And uh, because obviously we couldn't call it that again because um, somebody else owns those rights. Okay. Um, uh, just gave it a new name and made it. So there was not exactly the same show, but obviously the same sensibility, the same people involved. Um, and that was it. We shot them uh, over the summer and uh, it'll be on Netflix uh, next month. How did it How did it feel the same and how did it feel differently doing it with all of this added experience the the changes in the world the changes yeah. in technology it, it felt the same in that uh everyone uh made each other laugh in the same ways everyone with their distinct personalities and and points of view and their ways of being funny it was different in that it was no longer as filled with anxiety for us as it was and i, sp- I speak not for everyone but for a lot of the the people the writers on the show it was an anxious experience it was our first big job and an important job and you know, a job that we really cared about. And so, you know, the, the, the fear of being fired uh, was not looming over you at every moment. So it was, it was a lot more relaxed and more enjoyable. Uh, I know the last time 
we spoke in depth was five years ago and you were doing the Tompkins 300. Uh-huh. Uh, when was the last time you did that? When did you put that to... Man, oh man, what was the that, last one? That social media experiment success. I don't remember what the very last one was. It might have been the second time I did Toronto. Might have been the last time. Cause I, and that was the first one. Um, did they call the sirens in for that? Yeah, they did. They said, this show is too hot to handle. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I think it was Toronto. And, and you know, that was a really uh, a wonderful chapter in my life and, and uh, showed me that there are other ways to book shows. And, and I don't have to be beholden to the, the comedy club system uh, where I felt like I had to prove myself to the bookers again and again and again. And this way it was a way to to reach fans directly and um i could just go there and, and put on a good show and i didn't have to worry about uh the things that you have to worry about in comedy clubs and and um it it opened a, a, a doorway to a different world for me what gave you the the courage or the foolishness to start that endeavor in the first place um i mean it kind of started as a goof i was i was doing uh, shows in in atlanta uh, and trying to fill this this room for a week, this tiny place in Atlanta, and it, it was a very small theater, and I needed 280 people to fill it over the course of the week. That would have been sold out shows every night. And so I'm pushing the show, pushing the show on Twitter, and a guy from Toronto named Bob Kerr that I had never met before said, "Why don't you come do a show in Toronto?" And I said, "If you get 300 people to promise they'll be there, I'll do a show in Toronto." He started that Facebook group. It was the first one. Uh, laid it all out. Said. If you promise to be there, like if you're joining this group, you promise to be there. Don't do it because you want to you uh, help me out. Don't do it because you like joining groups. It has to be, this is your pledge that you'll be at this show. And uh, he got 300 people and I said, okay, fine. I'll book a show there. And I, I mean, it really made me laugh that he did that and that it got up to 300 people. I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know if there were gonna be 300 people there or not. And it was, uh, it was one of the, probably the one of the top five experiences I've ever had on stage. What would be the other four? <laughs> um, <laughs> you said five. Yeah. You fell into my trap. I am I am sorry to say I am pressed for time. I'm not <laughs> going to be able to think of them now. But uh uh yeah, but uh, uh, I've had some I've had some amazing times on stage. It strikes me it strikes me now in twenty fifteen thinking about it as I was preparing to talk to you again, I don't see comedians using Facebook in that way. Well, now, because the would settings be, change. Would you they know? be using it's, Kickstarter it's, now? Or? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's become... Put together a tour. The, the problem is, is that the, the all the social stuff, it changes all the time, and the way we use it changes all the time. So f the reason I stopped doing those groups was Facebook made it so that you could add people to groups against their will. Like, yeah. they might not even know. And then all of a sudden, they find out. They start getting messages from this thing like, what is this? <laughs> I have no idea what this is. And so there was no way to properly gauge it. And so I stopped doing it. But then also at that time, podcasting was on the rise. And so I found, like, this is a perfect platform to say, hey, I'm going to be at this place and reach people. You know, so it, it outlived its usefulness. And did you find, like, other podcasters I've talked to have found that the podcasting audience really comes out to support you in a live show? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they feel like they get to know you or... Yeah, the only... I think that they... Well, because they're also in other parts of the of the world where they don't have the luxury of seeing you uh, on a regular basis. That's why it's much harder for me to sell out a show in Los Angeles than it is anywhere else. 
I have to struggle every month. I do this live version of my podcast every month, and every month it's a goddamn struggle to get people to buy tickets to see it, even though it's always a great, fun show that mm -hmm. I feel is absolutely worth the money. Um, it's still, like, down to the wire. Hey, there's still tickets. Come on out, you know. But I could do that probably anywhere, and there's fans of the podcast all over the place, and I bet it would sell out a lot quicker. You just need to get on at midnight more often, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Uh, what, what was your first road experience I'm like? sorry to say I have to go. It's okay. five after the time I'm supposed to get picked up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> before I let Cut you go Cut this part then. out so I don't <laughs> seem like an asshole. <laughs> before I let you go then, uh, what's the last great bit of advice you've received? <laughs> the last great bit of advice I received was a bit of advice I gave to someone else, and they threw it back in my face, which was... <laughs> talking about showbiz stuff and I was you know there's something that was bothering me that I was having trouble with and uh, my dear friend said to me someone once told me remember that it's supposed to be fun <laughs> and you have to be you have to be doing it because it's fun and you have to keep that in mind at all times and that's always my advice to uh, to younger comics but it is something that it's hard to keep in mind, and I have to. I struggle with that just as much as anyone else does. To remember that, um, it's things are things are good. That if you get to do this at all, it's it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a wonderful um, luxury, and uh, try to keep that in mind. Well, Paul, thank you for for taking as much time as you did to, to remind me of the luxuries of life. I Absolutely. really appreciate it. Thanks, man. A pleasure to chat with you always. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brzezell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.